Well, I know some of you got to take a deep breath because you haven't sung like that in a year. Um, but, uh, but man, such a great time. I get the opportunity to do this twice, uh, which is awesome. So I have to remind myself, okay, I can't sing too loud and too hard or I'll lose my voice. But man, we're so glad that you're here today. So glad that we can gather together in this room. Those of you watching us online, thank you so much for tuning in this morning on this Easter Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll get to that passage in a moment, but just to let you know, that's where we are going to be this morning. And here's what I want to say first before we look at that passage of Scripture today, because this isn't lost on me, the, the different types of people that we have in this room and those of us who are watching us Online, We have people here that you are, you are singing this morning, you are excited this morning because you have put your full trust and weight in the reality that Jesus Christ is risen. And you have every reason to sing. You have every reason to be hopeful today. And I, and I know that's true of many of you. And then there's some others of you that I'm so glad you're here today and you're here uh, maybe not necessarily because you, you believe that as your reality, but you're here today because it's part of your tradition. It's what you do on Easter. You gather together with family. Maybe you're here today. Somebody invited you. Uh, you live next door to someone. You work with someone. Uh, maybe someone asked you to tune in online and you're watching this morning. And let me say, I'm so glad that you are here today. And then there's others of you that are here today, and you're like, listen, I, this isn't something that I believe in. I'm here out of a courtesy. Well, let me just say to you, like, I'm not offended by that at all. I'm so glad that you're here today as well, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online. And so I know that. I know that that's the audience that we have today. And so I just want to, before we jump into this passage of Scripture about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the pivotal event that that was and that is to why we sing and why we believe what we believe and how we approach life, I do want to just mention that I want to give you five quick facts about the resurrection that aren't even disputed by people who are critical of Christianity, scholars who are critical of Christianity. So these aren't five facts from pastors. These are five facts that even critics don't dispute. Here's the first one, that Jesus did exist and that he was crucified. Now you might have some that would dispute that, but there is mounds and mounds of writing that has been done that would show us that with certainty we can say that Jesus did exist, that he did die. And here's another one, that Jesus' disciples were convinced, like they were convinced that Jesus was the son of God, that he did rise from the dead. They were convinced of that. Here's another one, that Paul, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, that Paul indeed became a Christian, who before he became a Christian was a sworn enemy and a persecutor of people that believed that Jesus was the son of God. Like his life's mission was to kill people who believed this, and yet Paul is converted to believing that Jesus Christ indeed, did indeed rise from the dead. Really not disputed by even critics. Here's the most important reality that's not even disputed, that the tomb where Jesus' body was placed was empty. Now, critics can say they don't know how that happened, but it's really not disputed. Now, here's the argument, right? So, so if you're here today and you're critical, and no judgment here from me, 
But you might say, listen, this, I view this the way that I would view a fairy tale, right? Cinderella and her glass slipper, Snow White. Like, like really, it's just, it's not really a reality. But can I ask you this? How do, if that's true, how do a motley crew of fishermen, like Jesus didn't like pick an A team by, by human standards. How would a motley crew of fishermen go against a group of armed and trained Roman soldiers and roll away a stone that probably weighed somewhere around two tons, steal a body, hide it from a large group of people who are trying to find it? Explain that to me. Be very hard to do. And then you gotta ask yourself, why would they lie? Like, what did they have to gain from lying? They had everything to lose, nothing to gain. In fact, five of the disciples were martyred from their faith, martyred for their faith. And not one of them outside of Judas ever wandered away from believing who Jesus Christ said he was. Well, you got some that say, well, maybe the disciples hallucinated that they saw Jesus. Like they were on some trip, like they took something. Well, the reality is, we're going to read this here in a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says, 500 witnesses saw Jesus. Key phrase, at one time. It's pretty significant. Well, then some might say, well, scientifically, it's impossible that the resurrection occurred. Like, scientifically, that can't happen. And you know what I would say to you? I agree with you. But here's what you have to understand about science. Science deals with the explanation and study of natural phenomena, Physical matter, material processes, that's what science does. A miracle, by definition, is not a natural phenomenon. Otherwise, it would contradict the definition. It's a supernatural event. That's what a miracle is. And supernatural events lie outside the realm of science. They can't be explained by science. That's why they're a miracle. It's logically impossible for science to throw out any hypothesis outside of its boundary in which it operates. Why do I say all that? Because the reality is, regardless of the amount of proof that we could find, at the end of the day, I will agree with you, it takes faith to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It takes faith to believe that. But can I encourage you with this? That wherever I am looking for hope today takes faith to believe that that person or that thing will deliver on what it's promised. See, it really doesn't matter what it is. It really doesn't matter what it is. Anything that you are placing your hope in today takes faith that it is going to deliver on what it's promised. And so this morning, the title of the message is this, The Hope of the Resurrection. See, we're going to look at this morning why we can come into this room today, why you can be watching online today, why we can leave out of this room and go and do what we're going to do in the rest of this week if God gives us those days, why we can have hope, and it's singularly because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so here's the idea that I want you to get today, and then we're going to dive into these three verses that we're going to look at this morning and. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 19, it's this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives hope to every circumstance of your life. Whatever circumstance you came into these doors with today, 
I want you to hear from God's word that the hope of the resurrection and what Jesus Christ has done is what you can place your assurance in that better days are ahead. And I say that, and as we look through these verses, I want to give you two vital ways that that's a reality. So look at verse 17. Paul jumps into verse 17. Let me just give you a context of chapter 15, because if you're new at Salem Chapel, we, walked, we like to preach through books of the Bible verse by verse, and so we're jumping into a passage of Scripture. So I at least want to give you the context of where we are in verse 17. So really, all of chapter 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the pivotal nature that it has in one's life. And so now we come to verse 17, 18, and 19, and what Paul is going to do here is he's going to say, okay, if this didn't happen, because just like today, there's people back then who are doubting that this happened, he's saying, if this didn't happen, here are the consequences of what that would mean. But in approaching it from a negative aspect, he's also showing what we do have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So look at verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Here's what Paul is saying. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then guess what our reality is today? Sin, your sin, my sin, and the devil has won. Let's just end early. Let's go get something to eat, and let's never darken the doors of this place again. Never crack open your Bible again because sin and the devil is one. Jesus is a liar. You can find it interesting that people want to say, well, I don't believe that Jesus was the son of God, but I also don't believe he was a bad person either. Well, you can't have both. He's either a liar and a lunatic, like deranged, or he is who he says he is. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the sin is, our sin is one, your sin is one, the devil has one. There's no forgiveness of sins, there's no salvation, there's no reconciliation between me and God, there's no spiritual life for me for all of eternity. Hopeless. Maybe that's what you're feeling right now. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. What that tells me is that it doesn't matter how much good I think I'm doing, I can give to charities, I can donate of my time, I can be a good person, I can try to love my spouse, I can, I can try to do all the good things, I can try to be a nice person and treat people by the golden rule and all of those things. But that verse tells me what God is saying is, in comparison with a God who's perfect, I'm not righteous in and of myself. No one is. No one is. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that standard of perfection that God desires to have relationship with someone. That's what would happen if the resurrection didn't occur. But I'm here to tell you today that it did. And so the first vital way that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you and me hope is that it means that your sins and my sins can be forgiven. Like whatever your sins are, whatever shame you may be feeling, 
whatever past that you have, whatever sins that you will commit tomorrow, even though you may not desire to, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells me, according to what we're reading, is that because Jesus has risen and he's not dead, that means that I can be forgiven of my sins. Listen to the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. Just a few verses up from where we are in our verses that we're looking at this morning. Paul says this, for I delivered to you. He's writing to this church at Corinth, which is a well-to-do city, a port city, very wealthy, very sinful at the same time. And he says, I delivered to you first importance. Like this is the most important thing that I've given you. This is the hope that I want to give you. It's the most important thing. And you're like, well, what is it? Here he tells us what I also received. In other words, I believe this as well. This is where my hope is found. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. I find it so interesting that what Paul emphasizes in these verses of what he's delivered, and he doesn't leave out, in fact, he emphasizes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can't be forgiven of our sins. And then he says in verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, that's another word for Peter, then to the 12, the 12 disciples, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, he mentioned that earlier, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. James is the brother of Jesus. Can we just say as a side note, can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Like I got five younger brothers. You know what we did growing up whenever one of us got caught? Well, did you see what Adam did? It's one of my brother's names. Did you see what Jimmy did? Did you see what Ben did? Did you see what Jesse did? Did you see what my, those are all my brothers. We did that all the time. And don't laugh at me because you do, you've done it as well. Just think about this. James could never do that. But mom, Jesus, no, that doesn't work. Never. But James, the brother of Jesus, comes to believe in who Jesus was. Do you think that if Jesus wasn't who he says he was, that James would have gone after that ruse? Absolutely not. James putting his trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and one who had risen is so much proof to the reality that it is true. He says he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, in verse eight, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Listen, what I want you to understand this morning, and more importantly, what God wants you to understand this morning, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is pivotal, it's essential to you being justified before a holy God. You're like, what's that word justified mean? We've heard a lot of definitions. I've grown up in church my entire life. I've heard them all. I've heard, well, justified means just as if you'd never sinned. And I'm like, yeah, but that's kind of a lame definition. Because here's what justification is not. Can I tell you what it's not before I can tell you what it is? It's not amnesty. Sometimes we view it as that. What do I mean by that? Well, think amnesty is like a pardon. Right, so when a president, perfect example, when a president is about to leave office, what does he do? He pardons people of the crimes that they have committed. But when the president pardons someone and literally strokes with a signature, with a pen, that that person is pardoned, it costs that president absolutely nothing. It costs them nothing. 
other than the ink that's in the pen. Costs him nothing. That's amnesty, that's a pardon. So for us to think that justification is just simply just as if I never sinned without also emphasizing, no, 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 here's what justification is. That's, that's partly true, but that's not entirely the full weight of the definition of justified. Here's what justification means. Being declared not guilty, for sure, just as if I never sinned, but here's the important part, because the price of the crime has been paid. See, no price has to be given for amnesty to be received. Okay, you're forgiven. Didn't cost me anything. But no, 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 justification means you're declared innocent, but you're declared innocent because a price had to be paid for your sin. See, God is not only perfect, but he's also just. And you can't be perfect and unjust, or that would be an oxymoron to the very definition of perfection. So in other words, God looks at my sin as forgiven, but the only reason why I'm justified before a holy God, the only reason why you can be justified before a holy God this morning is because someone had to pay so that that could be something that could be yours. And God paid the ultimate price. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and he lived a perfect life that you and I can't live. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again three days later. Why? So that your sin and my sin can be forgiven. 1 John 4, 10 says, and this is love. Not that you, not that I loved God, but that he loved us. He loved me first. He loved you first. How did he show his love? He sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment that justification required so that I can be forgiven of my sin. That's why this morning, listen to me, that's why this morning that I can sing this morning as someone who's been forgiven. That's why I don't need to live in my shame of my past. That's why I don't need to be anchored in the chains of my sin, of my present, or think that there's no hope in the future, that I can't ever be delivered from whatever sin I'm struggling this, with this morning. Why? Because Romans 8.1 is such a glorious verse because Jesus is risen today that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That verse only has a reality because Jesus is risen today. Here's the second, here's the second vital way that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. But I want to look at verses 18 and 19 because this is where it comes. I want you to see, these aren't my words, these are God's words. Remember, Paul's still approaching this from the negative to prove the positive. He says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What he's saying is, is if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, you also don't have hope. Today, if you're living, those people that have died who have put their trust in Christ, they don't have any hope either. They're sitting in the ground. No eternity promised to them. Verse 19, if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, without the resurrection, man, Christianity is pointless and it's pitiful. No savior, no forgiveness, no gospel, no meaningful faith this morning, no life, no deep definition of love, no hope of any of those things. 
And I think it's interesting that in verse 19, Paul says, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know what that tells me? That tells me if this is all that I have to put hope in is the experiences of this life, man, that is a hopeless hope. And it doesn't mean that good things don't happen. It doesn't mean that we don't experience amazing realities in our life. But as you know, if you've lived any life, and you have because you're here this morning, that if I'm only looking for hope in events, those events pass. But the hope that I have this morning, the hope that I want to proclaim to you this morning, the hope that God wants you to believe and trust in if you haven't this morning, the hope that he wants you to be reminded of this morning, if you have placed your hope in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is that this second vital way that Jesus Christ gives us hope is this, that my story, your story, has an empty grave. It has an empty grave. And the significance of that is three life-changing realities that I want to give you this morning. If you haven't taken notes, I want to encourage you to write these three things down. You're like, yeah, I've celebrated Easter more times than I can count. And if I'm going to be completely honest, I'm even having trouble motivating the emotions of being happy today because when I look at this past year and everything that I've gone through or everything that I've lost, like I just don't feel anything. Well, can I lovingly encourage you that and be transparent that I've felt like that at times? Who hasn't? But it's in those times that God is lovingly putting his arm around me and reminding me, you've misplaced your hope, Johnny. I want you to hope in something that is not event-based, something that's not calendar-based, something that's not circumstantial. I want you to place your hope in something that will last, not only in this life, but for all of eternity. See, here's the first changing reality for you, that your story has an empty grave if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and can I say this? Or your story can have, at the end of it, an empty grave. Here's the first life-changing reality. Past or present sins and struggles do not define your story. All of us have a story. If you think of your life as a book that's being written, all of us have a story. And some of us, we, are in, we look at our story, and if we were to ever take that book, so to speak, if you can think of your life that way, you would never want to hand it over to someone and say, hey, I want you to read my story. Why? Because there's such shame there. There's such uh, sin there that you struggle with, that you can't get over, that you say, man, I don't believe God can use me. Like, like I understand that Jesus died for my sins, but man, I know what I've done in my past. But what you need to understand, friend, this morning it's the reason why you can sing, the reason why you can have hope is because if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or if you do that today, that your past sins, your present sins, your past struggles, your present struggles do not define your story. Why do I say that? Because let's even think about the story of Easter. Think about Peter. 
who as Jesus is on trial, what does Peter do? One of Peter's, one of Jesus' closest disciples, what does Peter do when the heat comes on, when people start recognizing him? They say, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? What does Peter do? Peter denies Jesus three times, just as Jesus told him he would. Just, even though Peter denied it and said that's never possible, when the heat came on, what did Peter do? He did exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. But in Mark 16, when the angels speak to the ladies who came to find Jesus' body but did not find it, I think it's so interesting that the angel says to those women, he's risen, but I want you to go and tell Peter. Why? Because Jesus knew the shame that Peter was feeling. Jesus knew that that shame would define Peter's story. And what the angel was doing in that moment is he was driving home a reality that's true for you and me today. That my past sin or my present struggles don't define my story. Let's think about Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. And Thomas, like everyone else is hearing that Jesus is risen, but Thomas, man, Thomas is like some of us, right? We're cynical by nature. We're like, man, I don't believe that. That's outside the realm of science. I don't believe it. I'm gonna have to literally put my finger in the holes in his hands and reach into his side and actually see for myself that this is indeed true and what does Jesus do in his grace? Does he rebuke Thomas? No, he doesn't. In John 20, Jesus shows up in that upper room and he asks Thomas to touch the holes in his hand, to touch the hole in his side, why? What is he doing in that moment? Thomas, your present struggles don't define your story. My resurrection defines your story. Think of Paul's persecution of Christians. We already mentioned that Paul did that before he was converted. Think about the guilt. Think about the shame that literally now I'm asking these people to accept me who at one time ran for their life from me. But because Saul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus to actually kill more Christians and the Lord changed his name to Paul and changed his life and his life was never the same. What was Jesus doing in that moment? He was saying, Paul, your past sins and your past struggles don't define your story. The resurrection of Jesus Christ defines your story. Oh, what a life-changing reality that is for you and me that some of us need to be reminded of today. Here's a second life-changing reality. Jesus has redeemed the pain of your story. There's pain in this life. Did you need to come to church today to hear that? I don't know about you, but I didn't. There's pain. There's hurt. I hurt you. You can hurt me. You can hurt your spouse. You can hurt your kids. Your kids can hurt you. You can hurt your friend. You can betray your friend. There's pain in this life. There's disease in this life. There's cancer. There's all kinds of things that we don't have time to mention disease. There's natural catastrophes that wipe things out and unfortunately wipe communities out. Why? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. Because when Adam and Eve Eve sinned back in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered this world, which meant evil entered this world. And you and I were not created to know evil. 
But we live with evil every day. And we experience pain every day. Think about Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome, as we see in Mark 16, and they're walking to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Listen to me. We look at that and we overlook it because we know that they're going to find an empty tomb. They did not know that. And they're walking to that tomb and they're feeling dejected. They're feeling lost. They put all of their eggs, to use the euphemism on Easter, in one basket. They put all the chips into the table and said, this is where we're putting all of our faith, all of our hope, and at that moment, it's all gone. And they were going to mourn that reality. But I think it's interesting that in Mark 16, when they see that that tomb is empty and they see those angels in that tomb, that what does the angel say in Mark 16, 6? They say, don't be alarmed, don't be worried, don't be sad, don't mourn. And they speak to those emotions by saying, Jesus is risen. Think about the disciples. It says in in John 20 that these disciples are locked in an upper room. They're fearful for their lives. I mean, just think about it. They're thinking if they did that to Jesus, what are they going to do to us? We're the next ones that they're looking for. Are the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests looking for us? Are the Roman soldiers looking for us? After all, we gave everything up to follow Jesus. And they're locked in a room, fearful of their lives, filled with anxiety, filled with fear, filled with doubt, filled with discouragement, filled with despair and depression, I am sure. And they're in that room all huddled together, thinking that everything is over. And what does Jesus do? He appears in that room in John 20, and he says these words to those disciples. He says these words, peace be to you. He's saying, right now, I'm in your presence. I am alive. I have been risen. And the consequence is, is that's peace. Why? Because I've come to redeem your story. And the pain of it. In the moment, that pain, that overwhelming pain for those women walking to the tomb, in that moment, that overwhelming pain of disappointment that flooded those disciples' lives was in an instant redeemed when they saw that Jesus was risen. And friend, what I want to encourage you with this morning and the reason why my story doesn't have a pitiful ending, a tragic ending, but it has an empty grave at the end is because I look at the story of Jesus' resurrection in the moment I see pain, in the moment I see hopelessness, in the moment I see that maybe all things is lost, but what the story of Easter tells me is no, 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 no. All that pain that is experienced in the moment is going to be worked out for a greater purpose. Philippians 1.6 says this, that I know this, I'm sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know this, that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Listen to me, it's not that that pain's good that you're experiencing right now or have experienced, but because I look into that tomb and see that empty grave, and I've seen it, 
of where they at least believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I had the privilege of walking into that empty tomb and walking out. And what an emotional experience to literally, if that was where it was, I have no idea. But in my mind, I was like, if this is where it is, then I'm going to act like this is where it is. And I am going, as I walk out, to remind myself that my story has an empty grave. And whatever I pain, I experience in this life. And I will, and you will as well, and we have. The resurrection of Jesus Christ tells me that my story doesn't end with pain, it ends with victory. That the Lord's gonna use that pain for a greater purpose. To show through my life and your life that Jesus is risen. Here's the last life-changing reality of your story having an empty grave, and it's this. That your story, that my story, man, don't miss this, has a glorious future. A glorious future. That even though we live in a world where sin is all around us, it's in our face every day, we struggle with it or we're seeing others struggle with it or want to put it on over us, we see it everywhere, that we know there's coming a day where Jesus Christ is not going to come again as an offering, but he's going to come as a conquering king. And he's going to come and he's going to rid this world of sin. And he's going to make all things new. And he's going to take those tears of pain that you are shedding. And he's going to wipe them away. Listen to me. The beautiful hope of the resurrection is that my story has an empty grave, which means I have a glorious ending to my story. And so do you. And so can you. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5 towards the very end of the Bible. The apostle John, the disciple John, who was with Jesus, writes the book of Revelation. He's given this vision from God. And he peers into the future. And it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he dwells with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every, key word, tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, this is Jesus, says this. Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. In other words, write it down. Remember it. Let it be your hope. Let it be your anchor. Let it be your lifeline today that these words are trustworthy and true. Listen to me, friend. Without the resurrection this morning, if my life's a story, story, we, and your life is a story, and there's no resurrection on the last page of our stories. You know what it would say? The end. Like so many books that you've read before. But here's what I know, because the Bible says so. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who's placed their trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me, 
that when you flip to the end of my story and you flip to the end of your story, that it does not say the end. It says it's just the beginning. I want every head bowed and every eye closed this morning and I just want us to reflect on what we talked about today. Because here's what I know because it's been me time and time again. That you may be here today and you've been misplacing your hope. Oh, you've put your trust in Christ as the forgiveness of your sins, but maybe we need to be reminded of this morning that your story has an empty grave. And what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today is you have misplaced hope. Place it in me again. Let me be your anchor. I always have. Let me be your hope. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've needed to be reminded of that personally. And if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ as the forgiveness of your sins, oh, I'm not saying that you haven't done good things, I'm not saying that you aren't trying to good things, but I hope that you've heard today that there's not enough good that can ever warn a relationship with a perfect God. That's why Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again for you. And what God desires of you today, you think you're here by chance? You think you're watching by chance? You think you're listening by chance? You're not. God in his love wants you to hear how much he loves you and what he's done for you and how you can have hope because I promise you, if you've been putting your hope in something else, maybe not right now, but you come to a place where you realize that it's empty. And so you can call out to God right now and you can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I place my trust in you and what you have accomplished for me. Romans 10, 9 says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, I will be saved. And if that's you, I wanna encourage you with this. Get out your phone, get out a pen, whatever, and write down this, info, I-N-F-O, at salemchapel.org. And would you do this for me? Would you just type, I put my trust in Jesus Christ today? Because here's what we would love to do. We would love to send resources to you, to follow up with you, to help you on this amazing journey that you have become with Jesus. Come along with Jesus, who is and who will always be your hope. Would you stand with me this morning? because we're gonna sing one more song. And let me also encourage you with this reality. For the follower of Jesus Christ, if that's you, every day is Easter. Like if you're like me and you have enough confidence in your masculinity to wear a pink shirt, like it doesn't matter if it's fall, whatever, man, I'll bust out this shirt and the people are like, why are you wearing pink, it's the fall? And I'll be like, because it's Easter for me today. Easter is every day for the follower of Jesus Christ. You sing with hope this morning. You walk out with hope this morning. You get up tomorrow morning, if God gives you that, with hope. Why? Because Jesus is risen. Lord, we thank you today that we get the opportunity to celebrate 
God, it's so easy for us to look to so many things that want to discourage us and get us down and cause us to think that there's not hope. But God, may we open up your word and allow it to shine in our minds, in our eyes, in our life to remind us that if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are not hopeless. We are hope-filled. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray and that we sing and that we live. Amen.